Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Little Things Podcast. I'm Bethany Werner, and I'm here with Rachel Hines, and we have a really interesting topic today. Absolutely, and one that's relatable as well. Uh, Challenging behaviors. Challenging behaviors. Even the title is very loaded, right? Okay, so before we actually dive in, Bethany, what, Mm -hmm. as a new mom... Mm-hmm. As a, somebody that works with children all the time and their families, how would you define challenging behaviors? Um, challenging behavior would be any behavior that doesn't meet the adult's expectation for that time. You're good. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, tr- I'm teaching a Wednesday night class and I'm expecting everyone to sit quiet and listen and all these crazy boys are throwing things and the girls are just sitting and giggling and no one's talking to no one's listening to me that kind of thing that's very good so I I'm going back I'm reeling it way back to the early 20s Rachel and not the 1920s my year (laughs) that maybe was when I was in my early 20s but as a new mom and we didn't have the terrible twos we had the whatever threes the Throwaway threes? Can you call three nagers? Three nagers. I like that. And thinking about what I would, how I would have defined before I was had a little bit more education and a and some great mentoring. How would I define challenging behaviors if I heard that? And one of the first books that I was given was um, about strong-willed children. Mm-hmm. And I really think. That challenging behavior would be my child doing anything that was outside of my control. Yeah. Like if yes. if I wasn't getting my way. Yeah. <laughs> and now, oh, I'm very glad about our guest today because mm-hmm. she's going to share a little bit more. And I'm really glad that she's one of those wonderful mentors and one of those people that um, I've learned so much from. But I and that my my knowledge has has changed a lot from mm-hmm. early 20s, Rachel, and it continues to change, but so, but I'm super excited to jump into this topic. What were you going to so say, So we're Bethany? talking like tantrums, right? Tantrums. Not eating, throwing food. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, I'm also channeling my my little niece, who's two, yes. <laughs> and biting, amazing. Yeah, biting. Saying no. Mm-hmm. Physical aggression, verbal aggression. Mm-hmm. We can all really but put those into the bucket of challenging oh, behaviors. Yeah. So the so, voice you're hearing yes. right now is Haley Jackson. Is the amazing Haley Jackson. <laughs> so Haley, I'm gonna just I'm gonna Go read her it. official bio. Haley Jackson is an early childhood extension educator with the University of Nebraska Lincoln. Prior to her time at the university, Haley worked in various early childhood programs in a multitude of roles. From teaching to coaching to administration, Haley has had an has had experience working with young children, teachers of young children and their families for the entirety of her career. Which I think all sounds amazing, but Haley is just fabulous. She I paid them to say this. <laughs> just need everyone to know. In smiles. Uh, so Haley, what, this is what I love. I, I would love to see the early 20s Haley and see if this is just, some of this information is just natural for you. Because I know I'm kind of jumping ahead, but you've talked a lot about the growth you've had as you've been in all those roles and those experiences. But, oh, you're just wise. <laughs> and I love it. And so Haley, we have been blessed here at Messiah to have Haley come in and for the last year um 
do lots of trainings with us, a, a lot of them cent- centering around mm-hmm. challenging behaviors. Mm-hmm. And you are just wise. And you're, <laughs> and you're so fun to listen to. I love your voice. And I love your laugh and your smile. I wish everybody could see your smile. <laughs> so, well, thank you, Rachel. And I will say, so I think it's really interesting because you think back to, you know, when in my 20s or, you know, as a, as a new mom and things like that. And I say that something that I always think about when I look back in retrospect at my career and the many, many mistakes, right, that I've made <laughs> is that I always think that when we know better, we do better. And so I try to give myself grace when I think back to those because not a lot of this was inherent. <laughs> I will say I've made a lot of mistakes and that's, that's you know, some of the conversations <laughs> that I've had with your teachers um, at Messiah Lutheran have been really fun because I get to recount those mistakes and then say, but here's what I would do now. Here's, yeah. I want you to learn so that you don't have to make the same mistakes I did. But I just want to say to anybody who's listening, give yourself grace. Mm-hmm. If we say something today and we use an example and you think, oh man, I do that with my kids. There's no judgment. There's no shame. Again, once we know better, we do better mm-hmm. because our end goal is always to do what's best for our children. Absolutely. What's best for our children and families because we love them. They're amazing and they're super fun to hang out with, even if the, with the tantrums and everything, yes. <laughs> with all the that's, challenging that's behavior. That's just like the sauce on top, right? All yeah. the little yes. extras. <laughs> well, and our podcast is called Little Things because mm-hmm. it's all those little changes that we can make. And I think, you know, we've got four children. Mm-hmm. And so Jasmine is our oldest. Mm-hmm. And I think the changes in parenting from her to our next to our next to our last, mm-hmm. just because of all those little experiences where we've yes. learned and grown. Mm-hmm. Just, so let me ask you this. Yes. What are challenging behaviors, Haley so, Jackson? <laughs> so we define challenging behaviors as anything that's going to get in the way of a child's learning or development. So their social and emotional development or their learning as they explore the world around them. And I think it's really interesting when we were listening to both of your um, definitions of challenging behavior, because I was in that same camp, right? As an early teacher, I'm green behind the ears, I'm 20, and I'm at, I'm at the lab school at Arizona State, and my definition of challenging was behavior was anything that wasn't compliant with mm-hmm. what I was asking, right? If I said it's time to clean up and it's time to go to circle time, and you know you've always got the kids that are compliant. They're very sweet, and they say, of course, teacher Haley, I'll do it with a smile on my face, and they go right away and do that. It was always the kids that looked at you and said, clean up, yeah, right, and then they dump out four more bins of toys, right? Mm-hmm. So when we look at challenging behaviors, we're looking at things that are going to get in the way of their learning or their exploration, I also talk about when we're looking at challenging behaviors, the behaviors that I would intervene on. So I'm always going to intervene with a challenging behavior, but the litmus test I use on whether or not I'm going to let them continue to explore or I'm going to say, mm, I'm going to get in there and you know maybe redirect is safety, property, or rights. So those are my three things where if it's a safety issue, so the safety of that child or another child, I'm going to intervene 100% of the time property. If they are destroying their property, my property, the school's property, a property of another child, I'm always going to intervene. And then the rights. If they are impeding on the rights of someone else or themselves, I'm going to intervene. And a really good example of that is bedtime or nap time, right? Mm -hmm. And kids know, I feel like they have this (laughs) this inherent understanding that they have the power at nap time, especially in an early childhood setting, because all you are trying to do is get the 14 other kids to sleep. And it's the one child that's like, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm not going to sleep. I'm going to scream as loud as I can and see what happens. Have my own little party. <laughs> Have my own little party. <laughs> no one else 
else is going to sleep either. Exactly. I'm not tired. You're not tired either. Mm-hmm. Let's go. And so those would be a time when I would intervene because it's the right of those children, of the other children or the children in your family to be able to rest their body, to have a safe place where they can lay down and rest their body so that they have the energy to get up and play and explore. Sure. So those are the, that litmus test that I use on whether I'm going to intervene or not. So, And I think you also brought up a really good point that challenging behaviors can be defined differently based on everyone, right? Based on our own kind of interpretation. Something for me that I think, ooh, that's a safety issue, another teacher or another parent may not have, have an issue with that. Sure. So the example we always use is um, climbing trees. There are some teachers who are very anti-climbing trees. They could fall, they could break their arm, they could break their leg, something could happen. And while those those safety risks are inherently there, there are other parents or other teachers who are like, I really see the value in letting them do some of that risky play with me right there. Yep. Right, so I'm not going to let anybody uh, climb a tree while I'm in the kitchen, like not out there with them or in my classroom. If I, if we are on the playground climbing trees, then guess what? I am right at that tree. And let's be very real. I like to say that I'm a laissez-faire teacher, <laughs> but my hands are up, like ready to catch them <laughs> mm-hmm. just in case. Protecting. But we want kids to be able to take those risks and explore different ways of moving their body. And I think what's interesting in the past couple of years, we've really kind of shifted where we used to. Right? They talk about the '70s and the '80s where we just like let kids run wild and I wasn't alive then but we, you know when we look at the parenting literature then, <laughs> just we had this kind of come home when the lights are on mm-hmm. so we gave children the freedom and now you know in the last like since the 2000s we've really reined that in a lot and so we don't want to while we there are safety issues there are things that I think that we could let up on a little bit again like climbing trees we want to give children the confidence to know they can move their bodies in different ways and then on the flip side, too, if they are to fall down or if they are to get hurt, to know that that can happen and they're still going to be okay, that they got their body hurt, you know, and then we go over, we give lots of loves and hugs and snuggles and we fix, you know, whatever is wrong. But then they have that experience to say, you know what? It was scary. I was brave. I did it. I got hurt, but I'm, I'm okay now. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I can I can try again. And so I think about some of those skills we're trying to give to children. To me, that says resilience. Mm-hmm, and sure. what do we want from our kids? But we want resilience. How many times have I made a mistake and gotten knocked down and said, oh man, that, I bombed that. That was awful, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it was a paper in school, a presentation, anything like that. But having those opportunities to really mess something up and then come back later and say, okay, I dusted myself off and I'm going to try again. Mm-hmm. I think about some of those skills we want to really nurture in our children because yeah. how great would our world be if every one of our children had resilience and knew that they could take risks and even if they fail, it's okay. Yeah. Okay, sure. sorry, that was a really long answer. <laughs> I, I, love, I love it. <laughs> We're going to go back. Yes. Because I have, I lo- I'm so fascinated by everything you just said. So the three things are safety, mm-hmm. property, rights, and, property. Yep. Yep. Safety. safety, property, and rights. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm just going to ask a question. Yes. So what if um, we have to leave right now to go to school and you need to put your shoes on right now because we are going to be late. That's not really one of those three, right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe 
So I, again, it's, it's kind of how you, however you interpret it. Mm-hmm. I will tell you, and I want to make this, this, this disclaimer. Mm-hmm. I do not have children of my own. Okay. I have, I've been working in early childhood for over 15 years. I got a couple degrees in it, right? I've studied this my whole life, but I do not have children of my own. So I want to acknowledge the fact that a strategy I might use at school might be different than a strategy you, you would use at home. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they translate, but sometimes they don't. So I mm-hmm. always like to mm-hmm. make that caveat when, especially when I'm doing parent training, because I can hear in the back of my head, you don't have kids. You have no idea what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So anyways, caveat. So this is what I would say. And this is what I've said, because I have had um, worked with families and worked with children who refuse to get dressed at all. Mm-hmm. Right. And so what I said was what I would say to the child is we have to leave. We're going to leave right now or we're going to leave in two minutes. I need you to have your shoes on. If you're choosing not to put your shoes on, then I'm going to bring your shoes and we're going to school anyway. And I don't know about you, but I think about playing on the playground with those rocks and climbing trees. My feet would really hurt if I didn't have my shoes on. So I would want to bring my shoes. I would want to have those on so I could run really fast and play with my friends. Mm -hmm. Now, on the flip side, again, I've worked with families who, and there was a good two and a half weeks where this child came in completely naked, wrapped in a blanket oh and a goodness. bag of clothes. And the parents just said, <laughs> oh dear. I would have been here till 1130. I would not, I would have missed all of my meetings. I would have been late for work because they are refusing to put clothes on. Oh my and I goodness. said, hey, I got you. I had a good relationship with this family. I said, drop, drop this child off. And once the child got to school, they would look around and be like, hold on. Everybody else is where I'm not where everybody else is wearing clothes. I'm not. And then it was like a light switch. Once we got that child calm, we helped regulate their emotions, right? Lots of snuggles, lots of hugs. You were really frustrated this morning, weren't you? I get that. My alarm went off this morning and I was upset too. But as soon as they looked around and saw everybody else had clothes on, Mm -hmm. had their shoes on, they immediately went into the bathroom, changed, got ready. And it was like this whole new child, right? When then of course you put the, you take the picture and send it to the parent to be like, Hey, you're doing great as a parent. Your child is doing great. I don't want you to worry about it for the rest of the day, Mm -hmm. but there have been cases like that. And so in that instance, I say, especially when you're getting ready to go to school or something like that, that partnership with your child's Mm -hmm. teacher is so important to say and have the vulnerability to be like, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> right? well, that is so hilarious. And I just imagine that's, you know, so many adults nightmares going to school naked. Yeah. And these children are choosing to, you know, well, someday they're going to grow. Leading up to that, <laughs> I think funny. as like the parent or that the other adult on that mm-hmm. other side, when we talk about those challenging behaviors being like the way they communicate an unmet need mm-hmm. yeah. or, you know, something that they can't communicate to us. Well, how often I'm, I'm rolling it back into my brain and at home, not in the school setting. How often did we have those challenging behaviors because I didn't plan my time well. I was in a rush. I was rushing my Mm -hmm. kids. I needed to get out the door Mm -hmm. and I didn't give them the time or what they needed in them because they, well, I just need to put my shoe on. I I want it and it feels uncomfortable, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But sometimes giving us grace and saying, okay, we're going to have that, that hard morning. And I'm going to really rely on that partner on the other side Mm -hmm. at school or Mm -hmm. wherever it is, because yeah, maybe this was my bad. And even being able to vocalize and verbalize that with, with my kiddos. I don't know. No, and maybe circle back with those kids later and say, this morning was really rough. And 
we I love you and yes. how can we make this better yeah. tomorrow or absolutely you know. we talk about repairing that relationship yeah so when we look at challenging behaviors and I'll be honest if you've ever heard me talk you know I'm a relationship person so you're gonna roll your eyes right now but Never. relationships are the foundation of everything we do not just in early childhood but I would argue relationships are the foundation we do in everything mm-hmm. in life and so we talk about the repairment of that relationship because we've all been there we've had those mornings where it's like I woke up late I forgot that we had to pack the lunches and of course it's a spirit day so I have to find you know the purple outfit to wear and we're running around and you know in our head we are our our prefrontal cortexes are fully formed right the the decision making part of our brain so in those crazy mornings we're in our head in our internal monologue saying I have to do this I have to do this I have to do this okay and then we have to be out the door by 745 our children's prefrontal cortexes are not developed hardly at all and they don't have that necessarily internal monologue yet and so Mm -hmm. for them it just feels really chaotic Mm -hmm. and they aren't really having that same narrative to understand what's going on and so sometimes we hit we get resistance from kids because they're like whoa you didn't even tell me what was happening right and as a three-year-old one I was just listening to a podcast the other day that said you have to think about it even a five-year-old they've only known and practiced how to be a human for five years right I'm 35 and I still make mistakes all the time when it comes to being a human and doing all of those things these tiny humans have only been on earth for three years and so we want to be able to give them grace and really if they are right especially in those two to threes I do it I do it so they're always constantly wanting to do things themselves and in our heads our parent brains were thinking oh sweet mother (laughs) this is gonna take 45 minutes and we need to be out the door and so it's taking a deep breath being able to regulate our our emotions and our stress levels to say hey I'm gonna have you try to put your shoe on for the next two minutes if it's not on yet then I'm gonna help you okay Mm -hmm. but a lot of that too is that speaking to them to let them know here's what's happening next because when we think about our children they have very little control over what Mm -hmm. goes on they don't usually have control over what they wear what they eat what they're doing you know where they're spending their time we are making all of those decisions for them Mm -hmm. and while we we have their best interest at heart and we love them so much can you imagine if you woke up tomorrow and you had no control over what was going on in your life y'all if I don't get to decide what we eat for dinner between (laughs) me and my fiance I get upset okay (laughs) I like to have control and so I try to think about that sometimes when I get frustrated or if I'm in a classroom setting and I'm you know experiencing a child with challenging behaviors I try to put myself in their shoes to Uh be like I get it I would be I probably would have been naked at school today too because I was Uh not happy this morning when I woke up and I love what you said about three years of experiencing being in a, being a human and trying and all the growth that goes into that three years too I it makes me think of um our oldest when she was little she was exhibiting a challenging behavior and it was going on for some time and my husband said Jasmine you are acting like a three-year-old and she goes dad I am a three-year-old <laughs> and sometimes I think as the adult in that relationship it's our job too to be like okay well maybe you can even speak to this is this a challenging behavior or is this my expectation? Mm-hmm. It's not appropriate right now. Yes, yes. And I, I think I'm so glad you brought that up. So when we look at challenging behaviors, I know I gave my definition before, but the way that I view them and the way that I work with teachers to view challenging behaviors is that challenging behaviors are an unmet need of that child 
or a skill that they don't have. So when we think about biting, biting is a great example. One, because it's developmentally appropriate, super frustrating, but developmentally appropriate. There are a million reasons why a child would bite. Typically, it's a skill they don't have. For example, sometimes children, especially when we're getting to like 12 months, 18 months, they're starting to realize that there are other tiny humans next to them that they want to play with. This is very, very exciting, but they don't have the skill yet to go up to their friend to be like, what's up? You want to play? I also like that blue truck. We could play with it together. They don't have that language. So sometimes we see biting because the child goes up to the other friend and says, and thinks to themselves, yes, I want to play. Instead of using that verbiage to say, hey, can I play? Instead, I'm going to take that friend's arm and I'm going to just take a chunk out of it, right? I'm going to bite down hard because I'm trying to get that person's attention. And does biting get the other kid's attention? Absolutely. Is that the most developmentally appropriate way to ask someone to play? No. And so when we look at challenging behaviors that way, we view the role of the teacher, the role of the parent, as someone who needs to figure out what the why is behind the behavior, why the behavior is happening, and then figure out whether it's an unmet need or a skill they don't have, and then we teach, mm-hmm. right? So, and I, this is a whole nother podcast. I would get on my soapbox about in early childhood, we are teachers, right? The day will care for itself. We're not a daycare. This We are teachers because these are things that we're teaching. We're teaching skills like grabbing a toy and walking to a child and saying, play, and because that's the language that they have to be able to tell another child, hey, you look like fun, let's play together. Um, And so when I think about challenging behaviors, that's really the way that we frame it. And I will tell you, for me as a teacher, working with challenging behaviors, that has really helped that framing of, it's not because the child hates me. It's not because I've never met a two to a five-year-old who's woken up in the morning and said, you know who I'm going to make cry today? Teacher Haley. Yeah, watch me, right? I've never met, they don't develop. Even though it feels like that sometimes. (laughs) They can definitely feel like that, but developmentally, they don't have the cognitive capability to even have a thought like that. And so for me, it really helps when we think about challenging behaviors that way. It takes off a little bit of the emotion. Yeah. Because that's the thing with challenging behaviors is that they are super frustrating for mm-hmm. us as adults because we are trying to help our child. And sometimes they're just too smart for their own good where they're doing a challenging behavior and you're like, okay, how do I even respond to that? Right. Even me being in the field for years and years when I go into a classroom, there are times where I'm like, I have not seen that one before. I am not really sure. Let me think about this, right? And so again, going back to the first thing we said is giving everybody grace, definitely giving Mm -hmm. ourselves grace too. Because those emotions and those emotions that come up, especially let's say that you are the child, you're the parent of a child who's the one that's biting. That's really, really hard. It's hard to go to school and have and pick up your child and hear another incident from the teacher saying, Hey, your child bit somebody else. Nobody wants to be the parent of a biter. Just like nobody wants to be the parent of a child who got bit. And so really it's giving ourselves grace and kind of thinking about, okay, how do we look at this from like a functionalist perspective? The biting is serving a purpose. Let's figure out what that purpose is. And then we can replace or give new skills so that the biting becomes something that's less likely to happen or something that isn't going to have those same unintended effects for the child, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So... That's a really a gift to the parents and those caregivers to say it's actually not all about me. <laughs> you know, it's yes. not it's not a personal attack on me mm-hmm. and it's if my child is a biter, that doesn't mean I'm a bad mom. Not at all. It is okay, my child is trying to communicate something or mm-hmm. trying to learn something that he does not have the skills for. How can we grow that skill instead of 
my kid's a bad kid or he's naughty or I'm a bad mom. Yes, absolutely. There are no bad parents because here's the thing and here's what we know about parents. There was a survey done in uh, zero to three and it was in 2015. So it'd be interesting to see that data again because that's a little bit old for data. But what we talk about is that parents said, it was 80% of parents said that parenting is their greatest job, their greatest reward, but also the hardest thing that they've ever done. Right? (laughs) Yes, exactly. And I talk to parents all the time and I train with parents and they say the same thing. We love our child so much. It's really, really hard. And it's hard not to know what to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, I was just listening to a really wonderful podcast with Dr. Carrie Gottschalk, who is fantastic. Um, and, And she was saying, and she kept saying it on the podcast, but parenting is not innate. I don't know where, and this is a, this is a message I've also been given as someone who doesn't have kids, but we've got, we've been given this message as a society that as women and as, as fathers too, we should just know how to parent kids. We should just know it should just become natural because we have the child and now we should know what to do with it. That is not true. (laughs) That is a lie that I don't know who is telling us, but parenting is hard and parenting requires certain skills and knowledge of child development. And I've gone to school for that for a couple years, right? I've got a few degrees in that, but somebody, if if um, your role is an engineer or something like that, you've never taken any of those classes. So again, I think the theme of our our podcast today is going to be grace, giving ourselves grace and taking a deep breath to say, I'm not a bad mom. My kid is not a bad kid. We're Uh just, we're going through it together and we're going to figure it out. There you're growing. Yeah. I mean, we have a seven month old Mm. and you've learned, you know, heard that phrase over and over. Oh, kids don't come with a manual and just have never felt that more of like, how we, nobody really does tell you what to do. We're just making it up. Or you look, go online and you can find every different every thing to thing. do. And mm-hmm. how do you know what's right and what's wrong? And yes. It's so it overwhelming, it right? Is. And it's like you have this, not only to mention like the changes that your body goes through as, mm-hmm. as a mother, but now you've got this like tiny, precious, your heart outside of your body. Mm-hmm. And literally after day three in the hospital, they're like, okay, bye. Uh-huh. See you in two it's weeks like, for the checkup. And you're like, well, what do I do with it now? Uh-huh. <laughs> and like I said to my mom, what did you do before Google? Yep. I yes. have no idea. Like, they called up, up their mothers, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and prayed a lot. Yeah, yeah. right. Well, <laughs> and this morning as we were kind of, Bethany and I were talking and kind of prepping for the podcast, we were talking, I've got four children. Mm-hmm. I'm in the education field. I still, I look at child number four and I go, oh man, I just messed that up again. <laughs> like I I know, but, mm-hmm. but then I love your phrase. What did you say? Mm-hmm. Know better, do better. Yes. Mm-hmm. Once we know so better, we time, do better. And we're always learning. We're always mm-hmm. developing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, and two, I think about, you know, when, so we have those, those rough mornings, that, that hur- hurried morning and we've all been there where we've raised our voice or we've used a tone that we aren't proud of. As a teacher, I've done this. I've always said, I'm a really good teacher the next day because that day that I drive home, I'm like, wow, I bombed that. I didn't do that right. But tomorrow I'm going to say this, or I'm going to do this. I'm going to be better. And I think about that as parents too, about having those times where you know that you bombed it. You know that you raised your voice and you really didn't want to want to do that. And so what's so cool is given the opportunity to come back and say to your child, just like you said, this morning was really rough. And you know, I just wanted to say, I'm really sorry. Mm-hmm. I did not mean to yell at you. Mommy was really stressed. I was really worried that we were going to be late. I had important 
things going on, and I'm so sorry that I raised my voice. I love that because not only does it repair the relationship, but what a cool experience to model for your child. Here's what happens when we make a mistake. When we make a mistake for the person we love, one, this is not the way we treat people we love. Mm -hmm. We don't yell, you know, we don't yell at them. We use kind words, things like that. But when we do make a mistake, because it happens, we're Mm -hmm. human, that we go to that person and say, you know what? I'm really sorry. I care about you and my actions today did not reflect that, but I just need you to know that I love you and I hope that, you know, we can do better. We're going to do something different tomorrow. And I just, again, I think about that modeling and that learning experience mm-hmm. for that child. And again, how great would our world be if every child we had knew how to apologize and knew that that was an okay thing and not a shameful thing. No one yes. is perfect. So we all have to learn from our mistakes and we all are going to make ruptures in, in relationships. So learning that skill early on, I mm-hmm. think is so valuable. It's not, I'm telling you, I'm sorry, because someone's standing over me saying, you need to say I'm sorry. You say you're sorry. You're like, but I'm not sorry. Right. <laughs> I'll say it, but I'm not going to mean it. Right. I'm my taking those magnetiles back again. Yeah, my fingers are crossed behind my back. Yeah. I don't mean it. <laughs> so what can we do to support children who are exhibiting challenging behaviors. Yes. So I think the most important thing, and this will get into a little bit of Bruce Perry's work. Bruce Perry is a wonderful, wonderful, and he's actually um, a therapist that focuses that working on ch- with children who's experienced trauma, but then his his work has really kind of reached out to d- the general population as well. And he's got a theory called the three R's. And what those R's are, are regulate, relate, and then reason. So regulate, one of the first things, before we do anything, we have to make sure that our nervous system and our emotions are regulated. So ours as yes, adults. Yes, yep. as adults we have to make sure that we are regulated. Um, I've recently div- dove into some of the work on mindfulness. Um, Dr. Holly Hatton with the university does amazing work with mindfulness, but what we look at is mindfulness is taking deep breaths and making sure that we are regulating our emotion system before we do anything. One of the easiest ways to do that, like I just said, is taking deep regulated breathing. So we call it diaphragmatic breathing. That's just a fancy word to say that we are breathing in through our nose and out through our mouth in a regulated kind of rhythmic way. So the one that I love the most is a four, seven, eight breath. And what you do is you breathe in for four, you hold it for seven, and then you breathe out for eight. So I will do that three or four times before I start to, to before I enter into an interaction with a child, especially if it's a challenging behavior. Um, because not only do we as adults have to be regulated before we walk into that situation, then we need to help that child regulate as well. So learning how to calm your body down when you're experiencing big emotions is a learned behavior. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the biggest things that we do in early childhood is teaching children, you're feeling upset, you're feeling frustrated or disappointed or angry. What do I do with those emotions? No emotions are bad, right? Mm-hmm. We can experience all of those emotions. Now, is it okay to hit my sister because I'm feeling angry? No, the emotion isn't bad. It's what we do with that emotion that's either going to be appropriate or inappropriate. So we have to help children learn how to do that. So there's lots of different ways that we can help children calm their bodies. Again, deep breathing is one of the biggest ones. Something fun that I've done with the teachers at uh, Messiah Lutheran is that we made little breathing 
breathing technique cards and they're little visuals on a key ring and there's different visuals for five different um, strategies for breathing. One of the favorite ones um, is Spider-Man breathing where you put your oh, hands. Scott, are Scott's ears perking up over there? He's, he a, he's a total spider. We should have okay. him try it. Yes. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. so Spider-Man breathing. So what we do is we put our hands into the shape of a web shooter. Mm-hmm. And when we're breathing in, our web shooters come up. And then when we're breathing out, our web, the... Oh. The sticky, I have the web the sticky stuff. Yes. Yeah, web. The, the web no, stuff okay, comes okay. out. Scott is shaking his head. He's <laughs> like, that is not what it is. We're offending him. him. <laughs> He's going to need some deep breathing. <laughs> um, and when the, the sticky stuff comes out of our webs, and then we make that noise when we breathe out. So, so I've noticed that little ch- children love this one because they understand who Spider-Man is. They understand the, the technique that they're trying to emulate. But what it does is it gives them a focused way to breathe. Mm-hmm. And breathing is one of the easiest ways to help calm our nervous system. The other ways that you can help calm your nervous system is doing repetitive motions. So sometimes you'll hear about people walking back and forth or taking their shoes off to ground to, to be in the, the earth or like the soil and taking some really like um, thoughtful, mindful bre- uh, walking steps. Um, And then the other thing that I really like that I've actually started incorporating into the trainings I do with teachers is coloring. Coloring is like those those motions, those repetitive motions of coloring in a picture or things like that. That can also help regulate your nervous system too. So I say all of those techniques to say the first thing that we're going to do when we're dealing with challenging behavior is making sure that we are calm so that we we can help the children in our care be calm. Mm -hmm. Self-regulation is really in young children, it's co-regulation. Children do not know how to calm their bodies down and typically they aren't going to be able to do it on their own without even a little support from us until like seven eight nine Mm. so we think about that birth to five age and the younger they are the more that they rely on us to regulate so your Mm -hmm. seven month old at home when they get upset when they cry we pick them up right and think about some of the things and like the ways that we calm Mm -hmm. infants it is a lot of those same things right we're deep breathing we're doing the shh 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 Mm -hmm. or we're swinging back and forth those are all repetitive motions that are going to help them regulate their nervous system Mm -hmm. so that's the most important thing is that we first have to be regulated I don't know if you've ever tried to parent or teach when you're really frustrated or upset. Mm-hmm. It's like, at least for me, nothing comes out right. right my yeah. tone is wrong. I'm usually too, like more loud and my voice sounds more aggressive than what I want it to be. And in those moments, I know that I need to take a step back to say, okay, take a deep breath, Haley. It's going to be okay. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and a lot of the times too, I will actually say out loud, okay, stop. Because I need like that... Um, kind of uh, voice or something for my body to be like, okay, yep. And then, yeah, to reset and to know, okay, now it's time to take a deep breath. So, and those little ones feed off just like they need Uh us to co-regulate. Like if we're all dysregulated, I just think of that so much with when my kids were babies or with our daughter with special needs. If I am off my game and my lid is flipped, um, she, like, I see that in mm-hmm. when they were babies, they get fussy because mm-hmm. mom is a, a hot mess mm-hmm. and same Maddie mimics my, yes. my emotions. So absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So really practicing that. So that's the first R that's the regulate and then relate. So the next thing that we do before we're even, you know, talking about the challenging behavior or trying to redirect is that we need to reconnect with our child. Right. So that might be as simple as a hug. That might be a, Hey, come here. Like, come here. I want you look like 
like you might need some more love right now, right? And that was always my line in the classroom of like, when a child is having a temper tantrum or really just having a tough time is getting on their level and opening my arms to say, do you need Mm -hmm. some love? It seems like you need some love right now. And I give very good hugs. I'm squishy. Mm -hmm. They are very comfortable. Come on over here. But there's some way that we need to relate with the child, right? And I think this is hard for teachers and parents because a lot of the time when we go in to deal with challenging behaviors, our brains are thinking we need to punish them, right? We need to let them know that that's wrong. Well, again, going back to our definition of challenging behaviors, it's an unmet need or a skill that they don't have. I've never learned something new by being shamed Mm -hmm. for it, right? And I'll say that again. I've never learned anything new by being shamed for not knowing how to do something. So again, as parents and educators, if we can go in and say, this isn't something that I necessarily need to punish. Now, do I need to redirect? Absolutely. Hands, we use our hands for hugging and for creating. Hands are not for hitting. Ouch, you really hurt your friend's body when you hit your when you took the toy from them and smacked them in the face. So we do need to redirect. But it's the teaching of, oh, it, I'm wondering if you might need some more words around, when you're done, can I play with that toy? Or whatever the skill is. So again, going back to figuring out what that skill is. But we relate with them we love on them and then we get the last r is the reason then we get to the you were really upset you wanted to turn with that blue car and your friend madison was already playing with that i wonder what we could do next time right Mm -hmm. and then it's giving them that word those words and things like that but i think that's something that's interesting and new for parents and educators to think about is that we've got lots of steps before we even touch the challenging behaviors right so i gotta make sure i'm right i gotta make sure you're right then we gotta love on each other for a little bit and Uh then we can talk about it um it's like sorry go ahead because if the child is not regulated if they're still in that yes if they're still escalated escalated Mm -hmm. yeah they can't Reason no. they can't. No, it's think like talking to can. a brick wall, yeah. Yeah. right? Exactly. It's like, and I, 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 this is one of the things that I did as an as an early educator, is that I would immediately go into, that's not okay. Right. I, you know, hands are not for hitting. I would do that whole spiel while the child is screaming, crying, mm-hmm. kicking, having a full blown meltdown. And I'll be honest, this is what that child heard. Wah, 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 wah. Yeah. Right? You turn into Charlie Brown's teacher. They are not in their prefrontal cortex, the decision-making part of their brain. They're in their mammalian brain, that mm-hmm. brainstem back there, where their only thing is fight, flight, or freeze. That's mm-hmm. the only thing they can really grapple with right then. And so that's why the regulation is so important. we got to get them back into the thinking part of their brain so we can make some of those connections of, that wasn't a good choice. Next time, I'm going to try something different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and same for us too, right? Because yeah. if we're in our mammalian so brain, yeah. <laughs> we're not learning anything. And with I, children with, in any time of life. And yeah. sometimes you just need a snack. Yeah. Yes. Just a little when in doubt, have a cracker. Right? <laughs> or chocolate. Yes, it's or chocolate. Different. And honestly, even hearing those steps, doesn't it like lift a weight uh, yes. as a parent or a caregiver? Like, oh, okay. Because we, we always want our children to be the best children, mm-hmm. our students mm-hmm. to be the best child, uh, students, and because they, they're, in my, our minds, reflecting us, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. But this takes some of the weight off. Okay, we we need to regulate. Mm-hmm. We need to relate. So we get to do those things that are natural in most of us mm-hmm. instead of having to jump. I can't, I cannot stand um, correcting behavior. I'm, oh, that's, mm-hmm. that's my toxic trait, is that I don't like to have anybody feel bad. Mm-hmm. So even if it's a, a challenging behavior mm-hmm. when somebody else has been hurt, it, it hurts my heart a little bit to have to correct a child. Mm-hmm. So that, even those steps just is like a mm-hmm. breath of fresh air. Yes. Like, oh, wait a second. This takes some of that 
having to be the heavy that that pressure well Mm -hmm. and I think too and I use this still in the classroom is that going through the regulating and then the relating it gives my brain time to think and say stop okay what what should I say Mm -hmm. right like and going through those scripts in my head of okay the child took a toy from another child so I'm gonna let them know that that behavior wasn't okay we're always gonna frame it in terms of empathy Mm -hmm. look at that other child they're so sad they really wanted to play with that toy Um, but it gives you time to think about okay what should my next thing be Mm -hmm. and so I feel like as parents sometimes we're we feel like we put the pressure on ourselves we have to have the answer we have to have the answer right away and how could you not know it's your child how could you not know what Mm -hmm. to do we're all just doing the best we can with what we have so if we give ourselves some time to our brains to kind of catch up to say okay we're regulating we're relating and then we're going to talk about what's what what are words we could use to get a turn with that blue truck next time Mm -hmm. well and it, it kind of reframes challenging behaviors. So look at all those things you just got to teach. Empathy, mm-hmm. <laughs> problem mm-hmm. solving. Ooh, like yes. it's kind of exciting. <laughs> Instead of stop, go yeah. sit over there. or mm-hmm. And why? Why am I doing that? Right. Like, yeah. Oh. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And so I think I think it's interesting because like you said like that, you don't ever want to like shame a child. And yeah. I think about that too. The way that we look at challenging behaviors is very much less shame-based. And it's nothing against the way that we were raised, right? Again, our parents did the best they could with what they have. But when we think about some of the strategies that our parents used, at least for me personally, when I think about some of those strategies in my early childhood use years, a lot of them were shame-based. And when we think about what happens and what we're teaching children when we're shaming their behavior, it's not necessarily the positive outcomes that we're hoping for, right? right? There's a lot more like higher risks of depression, anxiety, um, and that story of that shameful behavior of me making bad choices and not being a good kid, those are stories that kind of stick with us throughout Mm -hmm. our adulthood. And so looking at challenging behaviors this way, and I used to say in the classroom, you know what, it's great because you're showing me that there's a skill that you still need and that's why they pay me the big bucks. I am here, that I am called a teacher, that's what we can work on. That's what we're going to do. Um, and so framing those in that way, you're right. It's It, it feels more joyful. And I yeah. always think that teaching and learning and being with young children should bring great joy, right? Just mm-hmm. like the wonderful Rita Pearson says, teaching and learning should bring great joy. So I try to infuse that. And in when we're working with challenging behaviors, because we want every child to know that they're amazing, they're wonderful, they're so capable, they're kind, all of those things. And so we don't want to use those shame techniques as a way to try to modify behavior. Absolutely. Oh, Haley, I could just sit and talk to you forever. <laughs> no, my mind is kind of reeling. Because even I think adults, when you have a child or when you're in front of a classroom and maybe you're not in this frame of mind and you're in the people need to respect me and mm-hmm. they need to just listen to me. If you're coming from that perspective, it's not going to meet the results that... Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and from that perspective, challenging behavior f- feels like an attack yeah. to me as the yeah, parent or to me as the yep. teacher. How dare you say no mm-hmm. when I'm asking you to do something? I am your parent. I, I, I was the, the phrase that my mom always used. I, I brought you into this world. I can take you out of it, right? It's one of those where when you, yeah, when you view it as respectful and I am your elder and things like that, it's going to cause a lot more conflict and you're going to see that as combative versus this child's just exploring their environment, right? Or I think, um, again, with this really great podcast I just listened to, they were talking 
talking about children playing cops and robbers and good guys and bad guys. And would you intervene in that, especially if they're using, you know, they're using pretend weapons, right? And we've all seen it. Even if your house has no, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't have guns, don't have anything like that. Kids still do that kind of pretend play. And so I read a really great book that was talking about the fact that sometimes when we look at that kind of play, we're using our adult lens to look at something and assign meaning that that children are not assigning to, right? We think guns and we think, oh my gosh, gun violence and all of those things. And that's not safe. We do want anything around that at school. And that was an, as an early teacher, I would say, nope, no guns at school. That was always my mantra, no guns at school. And this really interesting book, and it's totally blanking on the author right now, but this really interesting book said, you know, really what kids are doing when they're playing like that is they're grappling with these big moral issues of good versus evil, mm-hmm. of what does a good guy look like? And what is the good guy? What are actions of a good guy versus a bad guy? And so really, I think sometimes when we're looking at challenging behaviors, we have to stop and think, okay, am I putting my adult lens on this play? Am I interpreting this into something, whereas really it's the child exploring their environment, mm-hmm. right? It's taking very it personal. Yeah, yeah. Taking it personal. So I think that's really interesting. And again, a very a good example of knowing better and doing better. Yeah. But again, I've also worked at schools where that was still that's still the policy, right? And so it's really what what um, you believe as a family and what you believe as a mm-hmm. teacher and your philosophical beliefs on that. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I know. Okay. So what is well, number one, will you come back and talk to us about something else another time? Um, absolutely. Maybe a couple <laughs> other times? Maybe a couple yes. lots of Let's Maybe every it. week. <laughs> yes. You're so delightful. What is one, what, what takeaway do you want our listeners to have about, I know that's a hard one. So I have two, and one we've said over and over in this podcast, but I think it bears repeating, is that we give ourselves grace. Parenting, te- parenting is hard, hard work work. Teaching is hard, hard work, right? I would always say, I, you know, I I love teaching. I love what I do, but also being someone that doesn't have kids, six o'clock hit. And I was like, well, see you later. Bye. Right. And knowing that I'm handing off these wonderful, amazing, tiny humans to their parents who are going to have to grapple with all of these things. And that's not just a nine to five, right? That's not a nine to six. That is all the time. So give yourself grace. We as families right now, um, especially post COVID and everything that's been going on, we are really stressed. Families are experiencing more stress right now. We have higher um, higher stress levels. Everything's more expensive. We have less resources. We're really just struggling. And so giving yourself grace to know that I'm not going to get it right the first time and that's okay. The, the thing that's important is making sure that we're just going to keep trying, yeah. right? And sometimes the, the most courageous thing you can do is say, I'm going to try again tomorrow mm-hmm. and, I, and I'm going to be okay and I'm going to try again tomorrow, right? So grace, I think, is the one one of the takeaways I want everyone to take home. And then the second take home, again, I can't overstate the importance of regulating our emotions mm-hmm. and regulating our nervous system. Um, like I mentioned, I just recently started diving into the work of mindfulness probably two or three years ago. And I can tell you that I was definitely a skeptic when I first heard about mindfulness. And I, my, my boss, Dr. Holly Hatton, who's wonderful, I hope that she's not listening to this, but I remember I thinking- I she is. You've said wonderful <laughs> things about Holly. And um, I agree. I forget. 
I remember thinking, this sounds made up. You're going to tell me that all I have to do is take a deep breath and all of a sudden my life is going to change? Yeah, right. Sounds like something, some academic, you know, an ivory, ivory tower made up. And then I started doing mindfulness-based practice and really started grappling with deep breathing and making sure that I was, that my emotions were regulated and I am an entirely different person. I am a better spouse. I am a better human. I'm a better teacher because I finally learned those really concrete skills of regulating your emotions. And as a 35-year-old, the only thing I can say is, oh my gosh, this would have been really helpful at five. Right. right? This yeah. would have been really helpful at 15. And so it makes gives me hope for the future that as a field in early childhood, and we're, we're talking about mindfulness for parents, but really incorporating this into our daily teaching and our daily parenting practice. So I can't overstate the importance of regulating our emotions. And if you have the opportunity to look into some mindfulness and even practice something as small as um, before I get out of bed in the morning, my alarm will go off and, you know, I'll wake up and before I get out of bed in the morning, I will do four to five sets of mindful breathing. It takes about two minutes, but by the time my feet hit the floor, I am regulated. My brain feels clearer and it feels like I'm ready to tackle the day. It really feels like I'm like, all right, let's do this. High five. Okay. Oh my goodness. I want to be that person. That's awesome. Yeah. Maybe we've found our, our topic for the next time. Yeah. Haley's here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd love. I can, I can talk about mindfulness for hours. That would be really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, okay. Oh, one yeah. more recap yes. for Bethany. Yes. Regulate. Relate. relate. Mm-hmm. Don't. Okay. Don't tell me. Don't. Regulate. <laughs> relate. Reason. Yes. Yes. I love that. And then the three, um, uh, before you intervene yeah. mm-hmm. would be if they're infringing on Oh, golly. Property mm-hmm. and rights and safety. Yes. Oh, good. A plus. Thanks. <laughs> Those are just really good takeaways. Those are my takeaways. That's what I'm saying. Yes. yes. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here, Haley. I know yes. how busy you are, and we can't thank you enough no. for spending this time. This was so fun. Yeah, I'll yes. definitely be back. Let's do it again. <laughs> it was good. It was great. Yes. Yes. This has been a Messiah Lutheran Ministry production. Subscribe to Messiah Lutheran on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can also find our worship services and our Sermon Extra podcast by searching Messiah Lincoln on YouTube. Make sure you like and subscribe so you don't miss out on any of our content. If you'd like to know more about Messiah Ministries, visit messiah.us. We'd love to hear from you as well, so please email us at littlethingsatmessiah.us. At